I'm Andrea, and I believe that women have the answers, that when we come together, we can create great things. So I've created this space for women to share their stories that unite and connect us. You're listening to Our Story Speaks. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm grateful to you for being here. Mental health is a huge topic and unfortunately one that can often be connected to, to shame and misinformation. And as we all know, shame is an awful waste of time. Today you'll hear my conversation with Montana. She takes us through her personal journey through mental health and shares with us how those experiences led her down the path of mental health awareness and advocacy. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and I'm excited to get started. Me too. Thank you for having me. Every time I get invited to speak about breaking the stigma around mental health, I feel I feel honored to be yeah. part of the conversation. So thank you. Yeah. So let's start with just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, who you are. Okay. My name is Matana Jacobs. I live in New York. I'm 43 years old. I grew up in Israel. I'm an Orthodox Jew. When I was 26, I moved to the States with my husband. My husband is from the States. Um, we decided to migrate to um, start our life in America, even though I'm very much Israeli. Um, I grew up in a very loving, kind home with the most amazing parents. I'm one of six. I went to a very ultra-Orthodox school. Um, when, when I was 18, I decided that I want to volunteer in the mornings in a special ed school. Mm -hmm. And then that's where I met my friend that I went to Hong Kong for the year, to a year of service in Hong Kong. That was my year of finding myself, and it was really amazing. Came back to Israel. I started a corporate job very quickly, went up in the, in the software ladder in one of the largest software companies in Israel, was working there for many, many years, like, I shouldn't say many, three to four years, got married, moved to America, started my life, had three children, <laughs> had a wonderful, wonderful beginning of, of marriage, really beginning that was like a dream because I left my corporate job just to be a mom. And then what we're going to speak about today yeah. was how I came across mental illness in my life. Yeah. That was such a beautiful, uh, very quick blurb about your life. <laughs> <laughs> in two minutes or less. <laughs> yeah. I could go on and on and on on every chapter of my life for like probably five hours. Yeah. There are actually people that that stop me sometimes and know my life history and they're like, tell me that story again. I want to hear it. And I'm like, do you have two hours? <laughs> so yeah. That's funny. So yeah, let's um, dive into your journey through mental health um, and, and what you're doing today to change stigmas. Okay. So I'm going to give a little bit more of a background um, now that people know who I am and who they're listening to. So when I was working in the corporate world, I was very active. I was traveling the world. I must have gone to every continent. I th yeah, I was in every continent. I was always on the run. 
I was leading 30 people under me in my soft in the software company. Eventually, the company sold to a, a huge company, the the leading company in Israel for software development. And I knew that if I get married, if and it was always an if I never knew that if I will get married, if I will get married, I will want to raise my children and I wouldn't be able to do both. Mm-hmm. It would be too hard for me. And I saw my sisters, my two older sisters were also working the corporate world. And I saw what they were juggling with having babies every year, almost every year. In the Orthodox world, it's very common to have many children. My sister has 11. My other sister has nine. Yes. (laughs) And they would leave the house at like five, six o'clock in the morning after they put up dinner because they would come home at five, six o'clock at night and they would just have to... um, play mommy and they did it phenomenally like really phenomenally but just imagine you're giving birth you're pregnant you're running you're doing and i knew that it's something that i'll never be able to do like i cannot do that and i said if i get married i want to be a mommy and raise my children and be available because i knew that i wouldn't be able to split myself maybe i would have like a side passion but i knew that i wouldn't be able to do the corporate world so it was really good for me that i married an american because i had to leave so much back in Israel. I left my whole network of friends, family, my job that was who I was. Like I was an identity in the world of software. And, and it was just, it was something big that I left and I had to disconnect. And I felt that it was like a gift that I needed to leave the country because otherwise it would be so hard for me to leave this amazing job. And it was an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And when I moved to America, I was loving the fact that I just could be at home with my kids. Um, We bought a home right away. We traveled a lot. My husband is a lot of fun. He was my best friend. And it was just, we were playing life. And life was so simple then, so simple. (laughs) We were just having fun. Um, I was taking care of my children, going out for coffee with friends. Everything was great. We went to Israel very often to visit. We bought our new home. We renovated it. We made it a beautiful new home before we even had our first child. And it was just, it was Disneyland. And I remember once sitting and saying like, when is the big explosion going to happen in my life? It can't be that life just happens so beautifully. Like it doesn't make sense. And one day I came back from Israel on my own. I went for my sister. My sister made a party for her 13 year old that turned bar mitzvah. It's like a big milestone by us. So I went alone at the time I had three children and I went to Israel coming back was very jet lag, but I came to a three day Jewish holiday and by us like a Jewish holiday. Imagine Thanksgiving times six for three (laughs) days in a row. Wow. Yeah. Tons of company. And, and there's like the hustle and bustle before. And so I had six Thanksgiving dinners being ready for this big holiday. And I remember falling asleep that first night on the couch because I was jet lag. And I said to my husband, "Um, I'm just going to fall asleep here a little bit. And then I woke up at two o'clock in the morning. My husband was still up because it's a holiday that we study the Bible and he was studying the Bible through the night. And I, I said to him, my husband's name is Ari. I said, Ari, I think I'm dying. He said, what do you mean you're, you think you're dying? I said, I can't breathe. I think I'm dying. 
Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're just jet lagged. You're okay. Just go up to, to bed and you'll be okay. I said, no. And I started shaking out of control and I couldn't breathe. And, and he kept on saying, just, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now a little bit of background. I was very, I, I was a hypo, hypochondriac. I, like everything was wrong. I'm going to die from cancer. I'm going to have an aneurysm. With all of my fun to life and everything that I was doing and running around, I also had that big fear in me that the crisis is going to happen. Mm. So I'm like, Ari, I'm telling you, I'm dying. Who's going to take care of my children? He's like, you're not dying. You're okay. Before you know it, 20 minutes into this, I was in a full-blown spasming, can't talk, throwing up, not responsive. He called, he called um, the EMT, the Jewish EMT over here. Mm-hmm. And it's like a very communal, they, they're, in two seconds, they're here. Literally in two seconds. And they had six men standing over me trying to get me back to life. And they, they I, I didn't hear what was going on because I was disconnected. Um, but all I heard, I found myself in a stretcher in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And then I found out that they thought that I was going into cardiac arrest and they were rushing me to the hospital. Now remember, oh. three of my kids are sleeping. And my husband couldn't leave them alone because they were so young. So I had to go alone to the hospital. Um, And I remember just saying, oh my God, I'm going to die now. Like, this is it. I'm going to die. And I'm not going to even see anybody. Like it's two o'clock in the morning, two 30 in the morning. Who am I calling to take care of my, my children? And I had a, I had a one and a half year old at the time. And by the time I got to the hospital, they put me on oxygen and everything, and they were running me through tests. By six o'clock in the morning, I went through every kind of testing you can imagine EKG, EEG, scans, uh, everything, blood tests. And the doctor comes in and he says, I have good news for you. You're totally fine. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, uh, okay, that was not fine. <laughs> I don't know what you call fine, but that was not fine. And he's like, No, you had a panic attack. I had a panic attack? What is that? Now, I was very um, ignorant when it came to mental health and uh, mental illness. And he said, panic attack comes from stress. And basically, you start breathing out of control and it escalates to a, a, it can escalate the degree of passing out. And that's what happens to you. And usually, you think you're going to die. And that's what happens by you. And you're going to go home now. And just learn about what panic attacks are and how to control it and breathe into a brown bag when you feel it coming on and you'll be okay. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm like, no, this was not a panic attack. I was dying. There's definitely something wrong with me. And I was arguing with the doctor and the doctor's like, I'm t- this is you're you're 100% okay. Your heart is fine. Your brain is fine. Your bloods are perfect. Your lungs. I'm like my lungs. I must have like a cancer growing in my lungs. You're like, no, <laughs> really. I was, and he's like, no, you're really, really fine. And he's, and he was trying, it was so sweet. And he was trying to, com- to convince me that this is mental illness. Yeah. Anyway, I come home in a taxi and my kids are still sleeping. My kids are still sleeping. And I'm like, and I said, Ari, they said I have mental illness. Now, remember, my whole family's in Israel. I'm alone in America besides my friends. I'm alone. Yeah. Um, And I said, oh, my God, I don't even know what this is. Now, I was afraid to close my eyes. For the next few days, I did not want to close my eyes because 
all I could think of is what if I can go into another panic attack after of experiencing like death experience was something that I was not willing to to feel again. Mm-hmm. So I I was and then I went into this and remember it's still the holiday, three day holiday. Yeah. And we're trying to entertain. So I canceled one meal. Then the other time I was like, okay, maybe I could do this. By the time the three, hol- the, the three days of the holiday were over, I was a wreck. I was a wreck because I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I didn't have an appetite. I was afraid of my shadow. And all I could say was, what, what happened to me? Where's the yeah. matana I know? This is not okay. My brain is broken. I will never be normal again. Who is going to take care of my children? How am I going to survive life? It was horrible it was horrible right after the holiday finished i started researching thanks to google what is what is mental illness what is panic attacks what do they come from and and very quickly i went from a panic attack to another one to another one to another one and i kept on call every time i had a panic attack i would call the local emt to, and they and they were so nice that they said to me eventually like you're having panic attacks you could just call one of us and we'll come breathe with you because you don't really need the ambulance and everything. But that was my security. Like who's going to save me when I have my panic attack. And then I went into depression mm-hmm. very quickly. And I didn't know that they were related depression and panic attacks. I found out later and I never felt so sad and so dark like those few months. Yeah. It was horrific darkness and horrific loneliness and I didn't even know how to talk about it properly because I didn't know what I was going what was going on with me and I just kept on saying I want to be normal again I want to be normal again I want to be normal again and then after three months of me gradually really declining to the degree that I couldn't eat. I couldn't shower. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't talk to my children. I was in my bed, not sleeping at night from anxiety and sleeping all day from fighting the anxiety at night. I finally looked at my husband. This was in July. And I said, I am broken. I'm absolutely broken. You got to do something to fix me. We need to find doctors. We have to do something because this can't continue. Yeah. And I remember calling my pediatrician, my kid's pediatrician, and I said, who's a good psychiatrist to go to? And he gave me a name of someone. I called my mom the same day in Israel, and I said, get on a plane and come help me get back to normal. So she said, do I have to get on the plane now? It was a, a Jewish fast day, a very big fast day by us. And I said, you could finish the fast, but then get on a plane. And within 24 hours, she was in New York. And I was still convinced that something medically was wrong in my body. Mm-hmm. I was not willing to accept that it was my brain. And I said to my mother, I call her Ima. I said, Ima, take me to the best heart doctor, the best best brain surgeon, best lung doctor. Just let's just go down the list again because it has to be something physical that's broken in me. It can't be that it's mental. Now my mother has a very sick sister and she knows mental illness. 
and she knew what I was going through. So she was able to support me, but she was, she knew what is one of the most amazing things that my mother knew that no matter what she tells me, I'm still going to believe what I believe until I'm proven wrong. So she went and took me, she and my husband took me to every doctor I wanted to go to just to be reassured that it's not uh, something physical. Mm -hmm. And after two weeks of going around to the top doctors in New York, we decided we we're going to go to a psychiatrist. The first psychiatrist was a disaster, real disaster. And after the first psychiatrist was so bad, I'm like, oh my God, this is this is my journey in mental health. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna die from medication. And um, I called my aunt, that's a therapist in New York, and and I said, well, who's the top psychiatrist in New York? I and I said, top, give me the top, like a brain surgeon. I am not negotiating on my brain. Give me yeah. the top doctor. <laughs> so she said, there's a guy in Park Avenue, Dr. Pauker. I send all my patients to him. He's phenomenal. He's five hundred dollars consultation, and that's what he charges. I'm like, okay, sign me up. Like this is life or death. And I went, and that was the first time that I found hope was in Dr. Pauker's office. Wow. Because, yeah. He sat there and explained to me what I was going through. We had a two and a half hour consultation, and he was explaining to me what mental illness is, what is depression, what's the chemicals that are going off in the brain, and why is it connected to panic attack, and what's the fear of panic attack, and how do we, how do we recover from a brain it's like a brain injury right mm -hmm. um and we worked on a program how to get better again or how to stabilize myself and that was the beginning of my recovery wow <laughs> yeah yeah that's quite a journey i love how in depth you go to um that denial piece yes because yes. that's so prevalent regardless of what you're recovering from whether it's mental illness or a physical illness, that denial piece is huge. And when we finally move past that is when you get to the good stuff. Yes. And I am so grateful, so grateful that I didn't have the fear of talking about it. And my sisters always say to me, it's because you're so naive. I said, <laughs> okay, so naive worked for me in this case because now seeing how much I work in the world of mental illness, how much fear of stigma is out there and knowing that I didn't have the fear of the stigma, I had the fear of accepting it. I didn't have the fear of the stigma, which is two very big stigmas that we have to work with. But I'm like, well, I'm going to be that crazy person. I'm going to be labeled as mentally ill. I'm going to be the one that's always on medication. I'm going to be the one that people are crossing the street to avoid. I don't want to be that person. I'm going to be that person that my kids don't want to talk to me because I'm so sick. The stories I was telling myself was the part that I didn't want to accept. That was from lack of knowledge, knowing that, that so many people struggle with mental illness and they're, and it's so, um, it's so easy to fix once you know the path <laughs> and once you know what you need in order to fix it and going through traumas and going through therapy and healers or whatever is broken and whatever led you to that crisis. But the stigma around it is what kills people. Mm -hmm. That's true. 
That's absolutely true. And um, I actually feel it a lot in the recovery world around addiction is yes. that that stigma of addiction keeps people from seeking the help that would really be plentiful and available. And it's, it's crazy. And it's sad because we become the best humans in society. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And I think what's interesting is when you take, if you are committed to your own recovery from whatever that is, right. you are really doing the work. You yes. are doing the kind of work that makes people heroes, that it's yes. a hero's journey. And so yes. you are the kind of person that I definitely want on my tribe if you've taken that kind of time to do the work. Absolutely. And you know what? Unfortunately, we need wake up calls to awaken that incredible human that we are in, like mm -hmm. it's in us. And I find that people that rise above their challenges, they are the ultimate potential of who they can be that they didn't even know. And it's not to blame them. People don't know to access that part if they don't need to. It's when we have to dig deep and find courage and find the grit and find the why and find the drive is what makes us want to be greater. And then when we become that incredible human, we don't know how we live otherwise. And it's like, looks a little bit like empty. What yeah. was life beforehand? This is like such a level of joy, of accomplishment with all the struggles. And there's a ton of struggles. It's so hard. Yeah. But there's such a deeper meaning to life, to every day, every moment is on a deep level of accomplishment. And it's a gift. I say that my mental illness was a gift to me to find the, the great matana I can be, which I would have never accessed if not for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's perfect. I think a lot of people would relate to how you're describing it. And, yeah. um, you know, sometimes in my darker moments where you, it's easy to get wrapped up in stigma and in shame, but mm -hmm. I often will tell myself, you know, girl, nobody wants to watch a movie where there was no struggle and they lived happily ever after. Right. Like no one wants to watch that movie. Right. Cause there's no, there's no, um, storyline. There's no story there. And so yeah. it is that struggle. It is that perseverance that is moving through that really, um, yeah, creates the people that we can become. So yeah. And relationships also grow from it. I look at my relationship with my husband. It went to a level. Now I'm not saying that every relationship can go like this. I chose life. He chose life. We both cho chose love. We chose connection. Sometimes we can't. Not everybody can. Sometimes people disconnect and it's okay. Sometimes they have to disconnect in order to work on themselves. And sometimes they're different human beings. Sometimes, but when we decide to stick to certain relationships that are good for us, and I'm going to say this over and over and over, when you're in recovery, from any recovery, you have to make sure you're in relationships that are good for you because so many times our mental illness or our addictions or whatever are coming from toxic relationships. Mm. So when you realize that it's the right relationship and you're fighting for it because it's the right thing for you, it can go to a level like never before. And it could be with your parents, with your children, with your loved one, with your friends. There's certain, there's suddenly certain boundaries and clarity that are forming around your recovery that just makes everything so colorful and unique and bright. And 
it's only through working hard on it and breaking and so many breakthroughs and hard, tough, crying moments of despair that can bring you to that beautiful moment. Yeah, that's perfect. I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah. So please share with us the work you're doing now, your podcast, and how people can find out more about you and, and help be part of this. Okay. So part of my, my journey to recovery was not easy, it was very long, but I had a tremendous amount of support. I was so blessed and lucky to have support. I had the community support. I had my family support. I had my husband's support. I just had so much around me to lift me up. And I had great doctors and I had the finances to find top-of-the-line healers. I traveled the world to find healers, to be in programs, to understand. And I did med, I did psychiatry, I did therapy, I did EFT, I did every kind of healing that you can imagine, yoga, meditation, all of it. I did everything until I found the right cocktail for me to be able to be stable. And and I'm a medication free now after this is already seven years. I'm off meds and I'm alive like never before. And it's because I worked so hard on it and I chose life. And I, I want to say this over and over and over. My whole um, paying it forward is all about giving to those that choose to fight for, for life, to choose to fight for wellness. And it's a choice we have to make. And Everybody asked me, what do you think is your secret to your recovery? I said, I have a lot of things that helped me in my recovery, but I chose it. Now, once I chose it, I needed everything around me to help me. But if we have the support and we have the doctors and we have the money and we have the healers and we don't choose it, it's never going to work. Never. Right. It doesn't matter what you have. No one can lift you up if you don't want to be lifted up. If you don't want to fight for it, it's not going to work. So my my podcast and my whole movement of breaking the stigma around mental health is all about paying it forward and saying, I had the support, I had what it took, and I believe in support. And I want to be there to show people that you could do it. Mm -hmm. And I started this podcast, Hope to Recharge. And every week we either interview psychiatrists, neuroscientists, therapists, um, practitioners or personal stories about breaking the stigma around mental health. And that's our goal to break mm -hmm. the stigma and create hope for those that are struggling. Yeah. So I, I, one of my big missions is to, to be able to make a big difference between those, one, those that are giving up and those that want to fight. Because those that are giving up are taking a lot of space from those that are fighting. And those mm. that are fighting really need support. And it's not fair for the, the ones that are now giving up. I, I'm not judging at all. I'm not in one very little bit judging the ones that want, that want to give up. It's really hard. And sometimes it's depleted. We're depleted and we can't fight anymore. But I want to be there for those that are saying, even though... I feel that I'm depleted. I'm going to hold on to hope. I'm going to hold on to a yet another minute, not a day, a minute to move forward. And maybe something's going to happen. Maybe I'll find courage. Maybe I'll find support. And my Hope to Recharge podcast and my blog and my services is all about helping people find their hope 
if they want to find hope and find what works for them because there's no two people that are going through the same challenge that can have the same cocktail of recovery. Everybody needs a different cocktail. If it's medication, if it's doctors, if it's healers, if it's support, if it's love, if it's treatment, if it's rehab, everybody has a different cocktail. And everybody needs to know that their own journey is what fits them. And Hope to Recharge is all about finding the hope and the cocktail that fits that specific person to get out of their darkness to find their better day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love a perspective that includes all different kinds of treatment modalities, perspectives, beliefs, because that is the key, right? Not one person has the same journey. And so there's no no way. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's perfect. I love this project. This is amazing. This is so necessary. We all need to hear um, another person's story our story come out of another person's mouth. I'm yes. so convinced about that. Yes. So we will make sure everyone can find your podcast and, um, and like and, explore. <laughs> yeah. And find your hope, find your tribe, find what's working for you. And, and hope is everything. Once you have hope, you can really just move forward. So just find what works for you and don't yeah. give up. Don't give up. Yeah. And I think that, podcast, especially a podcast like yours has so much power now because a lot of times isolation is such a huge part of this where you feel hopeless. Right. But now we can literally connect to other people from, you know, our bed as we're crying in our pillow. (laughs) Exactly. We could be anywhere, anywhere and, and just listen to some, I always say like, we're so lucky that we live in the world of technology. We can look at YouTube videos. We can, we can access therapy online. We can access a friend by literally being under the covers or, or listen to something inspiring like a podcast that can give us real hope or real tips or just feeling that we're not alone. We don't have to go to a group setting when we're feeling depleted. Sometimes we can get our inspiration and motivation just to continue from under the covers and that's okay yeah i agree i agree completely and i'm so grateful for this technology as well in my early days of being under the cover i would just google like recovery podcast exactly and i listened to them uh, over and over again and it was like oh my god i'm not alone and then things start to shift because you're like okay other people know what i'm going through right. they've survived it and they're thriving right. I want right. what they have. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's why we, we, we say on our podcast and hope to recharge, we say one story at a time. We break the stigma yeah. one story at a time. And the more we talk, the more we realize that we're together in it and, it's, and, it, and it happens so often. And we're, maybe we feel broken and maybe our minds are a little bit broken, but we can put it together and it could become so beautiful. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I thank you for this conversation. I have two last questions for you. I yeah. would love to, for you to share with my listeners what you're learning about, listening to, doing any of those things that you love these days. So I'm all about self-help. My friends make fun of me that I can't watch a movie or go to a movie or my kids even make fun of me that I don't, we don't have a TV at home, but, but we have electronics. But um, so I'm all about self-help. and my my biggest heroes in life are Brene Brown. Mm. Anything she does, I obsess with. 
she is my big part of my recovery. And Simon Sinek, all of his work, um, anything, any podcast he's on, I listen. Any book that he published, I'm part of. Um, I'm very into masterminds and coaches. I submerge myself with people that are very inspiring and uplifting and always going more. It's, you never get to the peak of, of anywhere. You always can go a little bit more. So any movement that is with big achievers, I'm there. I just finished a mastermind with Jesse Itzler. Do you know Jesse Itzler? Mm-mm. He's Sarah Blakely's husband. Oh, okay. So he has this mastermind called Build Your Life Resume. I was the first mastermind. Now he has like every two months or every month there's a mastermind coming out. And we're like a tribe. We're literally like a tribe and we do everything together. Now there are thousands of people in this tribe, but every morning we do gratitude together. I lead a gratitude practice every morning. That's one of the big things to help me with recovery. So I have three different gratitudes that I do every day. And one of them is with this um, build your life resume tribe. So awesome. uh, yeah, it's all about finding those um, inspirational books or courses that I can submerge myself in. Perfect. And um, my last question today, what advice would you give your younger self? To say more no's to others and say more yes to yourself. And I, I heard a very beautiful saying yesterday from an, somebody I interviewed, and he said, self first is not selfish. Ooh. Self first is not selfish. And I believe that my big crisis, my big breakdown was because I never said no. I never, and I thought that my worth was only by my yes to others and no to myself. And I had to go through literally a brain surgery of reconstructing my brain to, to teach myself that I'm worthy and I'm allowed to say no. And it's okay to say no. And when you say yes to yourself, it's yes to everybody else. Mm, I love that so much. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I love that you shared your journey with us. And thank you. So much value here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I hope you got some value out of what you heard today. You can find information about upcoming episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Our Story Speaks. You can also email me at OurStorySpeaks2019 at gmail.com. So please send me an email if you have a story to share with other women. You can now listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Anchor. I have excellent guests and topics in stores, so please like, share, and subscribe. Send me your feedback and leave comments. I'd love to hear from you.